0: All right, well, this is our last meeting for the year. Hopefully everyone got to finish the book. <laughs> Just teasing. Um, we, uh, first initial thoughts. I, I, uh, I wasn't quite sure exactly what chapter you left off last week, but this one you had to get to the end of the book. So any. Uh, I know there was a variety of things that were in the section... Uh, you know, kind of brought up that were previously brought up. So I don't know if there's anything that stood out in your reading that you found interesting or, or confusing, or if you had any questions on it, any initial thoughts before, you know, we talk about whatever I want to talk about. <laughs> Which is whatever you want to talk about. Krista. Uh, that, that
1: sometimes, uh, I don't want to uh, offend someone, but, you know, I think, I think these um, um, superwomen, uh, Jen, and uh, um, when uh, when um, I was starting to be a mother, and so I, I uh, was very thankful to be at home. And uh, so I just thought um, she has now six children, has a, a radio program, is writing articles, is writing a book. When does she have time for her
0: family? <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to, well, you know, she writes a blog. You can actually ask her. There you go. I, I bet you Gisela can help you with that. So, You could go online and say, when do you have time for your children? I don't know.
1: <laughs> you know, that, that's sometimes what I admire an uh, um, our children for ask what, what these super could
0: do. You know, and I was only at
1: home. <laughs> and, and yeah, well I think and, and yeah my, my day was <laughs>
0: completely full and exhausting.
1: With, with many things too.
0: Yeah, I well I think I think um well that I think there's there's two things you brought up is one is, you know, how does someone do that? And I, I think probably fundamentally it's uh you know some people need more sleep than others. So <laughs> um yeah well i i do know I, I know it's more than that of course i mean there's organization and all that jazz and then you know children are different and, and some children require more attention than others <laughs> some might be self-starters and play by themselves okay and you know all that um but then there's also the uh the qualitative aspect in terms of you know personhood and when we start comparing ourselves to others then we have a lot of questions and of course we don't do that because um it's a it's a fallacy we don't we don't compare ourselves to others in in terms of how we understand ourselves Uh, we can look to others for guidance and and, uh, encouragement but never in terms of self self self-worth because we're christians so we look to jesus always (laughs) And Jesus always says, "You are my beloved child, with whom I'm well pleased," and that enlivens us to to do what God has given us to do. Whether it be a stay-at-home mom, working mom, uh, obviously none of those apply to me. Um, so, you know, you, depending on what what you do. So, uh, Nancy. Yeah, this is completely different. Though,
1: I mean, one thing that really struck me in this chapter, I mean, it was wonderful to see her faith develop. It seems to be one of the pivotal things is when she realized that her grandfather had kind of miraculously survived the incident in the war Yeah, right. at the same time that this little boy had died. Yes. Had died. And, um, you know, it, it's still an enigma, but it, it opened to her to, she started thinking about heaven and how maybe little Tommy wasn't so bad off after
0: all. Right. And her reflection of what story in the Bible? Lazarus, Right. She always uh, presumed Lazarus was going to be super happy to be back, and yeah, it, uh, the first time that she ever thought maybe perhaps he was disappointed. I've always thought that. Thought, you know, assuming he was. Yeah, yeah. Assuming I mean, assuming that you know he was in the presence of God and the heavenly choirs and everything. But yeah, well, of course, which we don't know. But so, but I mean, those are uh, two valid speculations, right? him being cuz we don't know if he was happy when he came back either so we don't I mean we don't know but the but the but the point is is that um uh her re, her reflection upon that in comparison to to Tommy was really helpful it gave her a vernacular to actually talk about Tommy too i thought i thought that was very very good um, and then yes and then finally it was kind of interesting to her the pieces coming together you know, she doesn't really timeline it, but it seems like it's almost like <laughs> comes together very quickly, which I'm sure, I mean, it might have been like that, but it might have been a little a slower process. But the, um, the things that, uh, well, it kind of comes to a final conclusion in the epilogue where she looks back on her, I mean, the epilogue basically, if it was put in the front of the book, we the cat would have been let out of the bag already so she's looking back through the lens of her baptism and now through that lens she's starting to see all these pieces that were in play and how she felt about them and how you know god's god's uh, leading through all that and of course you know reflecting upon her own family and, and it was interesting, so death and sacrifice were kind of the two things that really got her thinking, So, which of course should resonate with the story of Jesus. Jan and then Holly. Her,
2: her continual struggle with, you know, she got almost immediately the answers to her prayers. I mean, this furniture just
0: fell off. Oh, yeah, right. I thought that was kind of an odd section, but... <laughs>
2: You' right. or the people there or, or even the gal that helped her out with her children yeah right that, you know not everything was rosy and, and terrific in, in her life and the fact that all these other bad things happen in the world and you know one of the things that, that always hits me when I come home from one of my trips is that we are the most impatient people mm-hmm. in the world in the U.S., because the rest of the world has patience like you wouldn't believe, you know, and I have so much compared Uh to other people in the world that I can give thanks for all that I have and don't have to worry about what I don't have, and and I, you know, she struggled really hard with that drove past the house again that she really, truly wanted, and then they found the other house, and she decided that she could see herself living there. God always gives us something mm-hmm. to, satisfi- to satisfy the need. He may not give us what we want, <clears throat> but He gives us what we need.
0: Well, and I think, uh, yeah, so she, I think she was learning the uh, the idea is that you know what what we want and what God gives should equal so what God gives us is what we should want and she's struggling with the reality that what she wants is not what God gives so you got to, i mean you got to think about what that means and her reflection upon Irma especially i, th- I think it was Irma i mean I, I mean i know she talked about Irma but i i think it was specifically about Irma is that Irma was a joyful person in the midst of what she perceived as being wanting. Yeah,
2: she was brought up in, you know, dirt floors and. Right. They got felt from the pool table yep. as a blanket. And yeah, right. I can't understand how that could be a gift.
0: Yep. So those are all good examples of how the community, the, the church community or, or the Christian world, can be such a blessing to us in ways that we never would have imagined so in in, in her relationship with Irma it began to uh, open up her world to a whole nother level of of contentness and through understanding that world of contentness she's you know in more in line with what you know she understood as what God God is giving her God wants so it's really good yep Hallie.
2: Um, two things. First one, was an observation, and I thought it was charming how the woman that came, um, a member, of the family right. and helped her back as if like she was her sister. Right. It's mm-hmm. like okay, so where do we start? You know, and like I yep. just hope that our church can be like that. You
0: know, yeah. we can offer
2: service as you know, brotherhood, sisterhood
0: well i think I think some of that is uh I thought of the meal ministry here at St John when I read that um, as the on the receiving end of the meal ministry i felt that's how I felt I'm so surprised at how people you know gave and provided as if it was that's just kind of normal just yeah it's just what christians do so um but that's something very important though for us to realize is that Um, yeah the understanding that when you join the church you join a family it is a family and this will go to kind of what we talk about baptism in a little bit is that as a family we have certain rights to one another not in terms of telling what each other to do but rights in order to to love or to help so that you know Jennifer she's still in this world of individualism right Hey, I'm I'm going through this whole thing with God, and it's me and God. I'm struggling. I'm I'm figuring out my faith unto myself. And she's finally understanding that it's 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 not just her and God. And in fact, I mean that's what the Bible says. Call me crazy, but I believe in the Bible. Um, there's never me and Jesus in the Bible. I think we talked about that sometime. I don't know if it was last year or whenever. But um, and so I mean, so this is one of the ramifications. People can come over and help you unpack your stuff, you know, and help you put your underwear drawer back <laughs> and it not be weird, it be normal. So, <laughs> okay, Holly. <laughs> uh, the other thing was, um, at
2: first, in finishing the book, before the book, when Clifford Anton
0: right. dies, yes. I was
2: like, what? Uh, you know, and
0: then... Didn't see that coming.
2: No, and then the more perfect ending because it's like, you know, death is so thematic in right. the book and, and so she's kind of resurrecting from mm-hmm. this to this new life and right. that old life, finally there's
1: finally a nail in the coffin. Yep. And she can no longer be the person that she wanted
2: to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And that God has moved her to this other... I yeah,
0: well she wants to be a different person now. Yeah, yeah yeah right, so the desires have changed, yeah, then, and, and uh, I think it was a fleeting napkin or something that she's lets the napkin go when the wind <laughs> yeah. falls away. I was like, ah, okay, but um, that's right, uh death and resurrection have, has been very thematic throughout the the book, whether it be you know very obvious or very subtle, um so yeah, anything, any other initial thoughts Because we're gonna. Yeah, Kathy. You know, I think
1: in that same thing when we were talking about, you know, the, the
0: fellowship of the, you know, the, right. the women, the children, she looked out and
2: backed out and saw the children play. Yeah. She, she, that, that hadn't,
1: you know, would they play with other children throughout the school? Right, right. Story
2: right. or not, but, you know, I, I, I guess I was kind of
0: reading the mind in that yeah, right. this is the place where... That's right. Well. That, that's, a great, that's a great point. In fact, uh, yes, I would... I would I would say that's probably a true observation. Um, yeah, you know, it's... Uh, the, the understanding of the community is a two-way street, right? I mean, there's the aspect of uh, loving others, but then there's the other one of being loved. And she, you know, she struggled with both. I mean, some people are very willing to, to uh, let other... Like, to be critical of others who don't love. I often well not so much anymore but, but definitely in, in previous you know I've been a pastor seven years so in previous years uh, one of the critiques of church is they don't love rightly or, or enough and you know I would I would argue the point that sometimes the love of the church is rejected because someone is not willing to be loved and and one of the things about being loved is that you can't tell the lover what to do, necessarily. Um, and I think I think that's where Jennifer was trying to, she's trying to get to this point where perhaps the community of faith, the church, knows how to love, and she, ne- she needs to let the church love her. And of course, you know, there's going to be circumstances where, you know, it doesn't work out, and, you know, people make mistakes, and, offend each other but the grander story is that the church is loving towards one another and and of course it's hard to be loved when you've maybe been uh, betrayed or you've uh, been sinned against but without letting yourself be loved then you're allowing the betrayal and the sin to rule your relationship with one another and of course that is not what what's that's not good you have, to, you have to work through that. You have to be vulnerable and let yourself be loved. So I think I think that's where um, you know she kind of you know, hints to it, like, "Hey, this woman's going to go in my box of stuff and help me." But it was very quick to kind of get over it, right? I mean, she was kind of like, well, "Okay, great." Um, but I think you know, whether it be your material stuff or your past, I mean, some, I mean when you live in community, people are going to get in your stuff. <laughs> You're going to get in your junk, <laughs> and. How they handle it, and then how you handle them in it, is is really a, a testimony to God's love, you know, with, alive in the relationships. So, so think about that. Okay. Um, she made her first confession at the end of the book, and um, I, you know, it was it was a very interesting read for me for a variety of reasons, but. Um, Well, let's okay. So, uh, Luke chapter fifteen—it's on the back of your sheet. I hope did it print right. Okay, it is the the prodigal son. Now, in chapel, I read about uh, David and Nathan and Nathan's uh, uh, confrontation of David's sin. And I, I intentionally did that because I don't want to dwell upon that understanding of confession because it actually doesn't mimic Jennifer's so much. But I think when we, we think about going to confession, whether, you know, any sort of confession, we often think about it in terms of that, David. Oh, crap, I, I did something terrible. And now, you know, I'm going to have got to make right on it. The prodigal son is a very different understanding. I mean, yes, he did something bad. But there is a uh, more outstanding there's there's kind of a larger picture in terms of what confession does that I th- isn't more in line with what Jennifer or what happened to her. So um so when we think about confession, I think our first thoughts should be colored by the prodigal son story. Rather than David. Psalm fifty one and oh, those are, those are very instructive. So don't get me wrong. But I just, I want us to dwell upon what happened to the prodigal son. So, you know, obviously the prodigal son, you know, you, you should read it, think about it. But, of course, the prodigal son is, is about a, a father and two sons. And one of the sons asks for his inheritance, which means that he's uh, basically telling his dad to drop dead so that he can have his. So it's, it's not, it's not a, uh, a very neutral beginning, it's very confrontational. It's, it's kind of awful. And, of course, he, he uh, spends a few days with his dad in this new relationship, and then uh, I think it says after many days, uh, then he takes off for another country. Now, what, ha- what is happening here is the son is, is, is trying to be someone else. He, uh, I mean, he's, he is, is going to a foreign country going to a different people, and he's trying to be one of them. I don't think we think about what that means often, but he literally is renouncing who he is. Now, as he renounces who he is, the question is, does he have the right to do that? Can he do that? Is it possible? Or is he just pretending? Okay? Okay. Now, of course, if you ask him, he'll probably say one thing. But I think if you ask his dad, he'll say another. So as you read this story, the the thing that for us as we read it is, is who are we going to believe? The father throughout the story, which I think we should, or the son? And given that perspective, then we have to ask ourselves, how do we see others who are That mimic the prodigal son. Okay, so the son goes away, spends it in reckless living, which is uh, reckless. I mean, it is pretty. It's it's just kind of very purely materialistic, narcissistic. It's all about you know sex, love, you know, sex, girls, you know, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. So of course, now he's now he, he hires himself to one of the citizens of another country, of this other country. And now, and, now, and now he's, I mean, so you see kind of the progression of what's happening, right? He's, he's uh, it's going down quickly. And he is working with the pigs. So, of course, if, you know, if you're writing this amongst a, a Jewish perspective, you know, he's really gone off the deep end. Because, you know, you're not supposed to deal with pigs. No, no eating pork. So, but he's, he's willing to eat the food of the pigs, but of course, if you imagine himself, not only is he trying to be someone else, but he's actually trying to be a different sort of like, thing. What is he doing? He's eating the food of animals. So just picture himself, just picture that in your mind. He's an animal basically now. And that kind of, that, this, is, this is what happens when you ask your father to drop dead take all the money and try to be somebody else. You eventually do become someone else, just not the person that you thought you could be. So he finally wakes up. Something, something happens to him and says, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'll ask my dad to be a servant in his household. Um, you know, so he's going to go back. And he he goes back, and, of course, the father sees him from afar and runs to him, and that kind of shows the reckless love of the father because men didn't run back then and you didn't show your ankles back then, and it's the only way you could run in a robe, not a dress, a robe. Um, So, but the thing is, though, the the son's confession, what does he say? He... uh, uh, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So his his understanding of what he's done has a, like a heavenly perspective and an earthly perspective. This is very important. Because as you uh, kind of, as Jennifer documents her confession, these two things are happening also. She kind of starts with the earthly realm. I've lied, I, I've, uh, you know, I don't know. Whatever did some other things. I can't remember. And then, uh, and then she gets to what she's what she's done towards Jesus himself. So, so this is important for as we think about confession, is that we often think, "Oh my gosh, I hurt this person. I got to get this off my chest. I got to hear God say, uh, you know, I forgive you. It's all going to be okay." But in reality, and this is something with the hymnal that I hopefully we'll point out is that. It's not, it's not just about another person always. It's it's about God and persons. Okay. Now, of course, he, he says, hey, I've sinned against uh, God and, and you. And then he's like, well, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. So, again, who is he? Who? You think there's a little hope for him. Oh, he's going to confess, so maybe, you know, he, he's on the right track, but... He's still who? Whose perspective is he on, on the father's perspective, or is he still on his own perspective? Yeah, his own. So this is something interesting: is we make confession. Uh, sometimes your confef- sometimes our confessions are uh, still on our own terms. <laughs> I the reason why I find the uh, Jennifer Fuller's account interesting is because she she can't control herself when she confesses? I think I, I quote it right? The wound. Oh, there was no way I could stop talking now. It was as if I inserted a lance into a festering wound and it was finally draining. Uh, so this is a big difference between the, the son and her. She can't control it now. It's just coming out. And he is still kind of claiming control of things. It's subtle. But it is very important to notice as we read this. Because he's telling his father, I- I'm not worthy to call your son. Which is the fact that what he did earlier, right? He said, drop dead. I'm not your son anymore. I'm going to be somebody else. So he's still playing by the same rules as when he told his father to drop dead. So you've got to ask yourself, you know, is, what kind of confession is he making? Well, okay. Okay. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. they began to celebrate. So the father just completely disregards. I mean, I actually really like the father because he tells the son you're my son, you don't tell me what to do. <laughs> but a very good way, positive way. Because the, fa- the son thinks, okay, um, I'm going to get my father to work on my level. And the son thinks that's a good thing. Oh, I'm going to be a hired servant, I'm going to have enough food, yada, yada, yada. The father's like, nope. Uh, you know, the father really does know best. So anyways, so he... Uh, he just completely disregards the son's confession. Now, the father, uh, this is what I think, I mean, it's not really in the the biblical text here, but I think the father understands what the son is trying to do, but he just, he knows better. He knows that the son doesn't know how to do it. So he's going to do it for him. And uh, it's it's even more. So this, this is something that is really important for us on a variety of levels. But the son never stops being the son. I mean, according to the father. And even though the son thought he wasn't a son anymore, that he was <laughs> even an animal, and the best he could do was be a servant, uh, the father's like, nope, you are my son. And in fact, you'll always be my son because you're my son. It's, you can't change. So um, now, of course, you have the older son uh, who, uh, you know, has been playing by the rules. But, of course, he understands. He's still not understanding himself according to the father. So it's kind of interesting. You have two sons who think they know how to handle their family, but from completely different perspectives. You have a son who says, I'm not going to be your son. And then you have another son who says, I'm a son because I follow the rules. And it's based on my perspective. So both of, both of them are, are working from their own perspectives and not from the father's perspective. And that's why the father at the end says, What is wrong with you? You could have done this anytime you wanted. Um, so, and then his, his response is to say, uh, You know, it's fitting to celebrate and be glad. It's fitting. What does that mean? It's fitting. What could be another way you say that, Mary?
1: It's appropriate.
0: It's appropriate. It's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, this is the normal. This is normal. Celebration, the togetherness, the community. What was abnormal is the sun leaving, or the sun trying to. Tell the father because I'm, I'm I follow the rules. I'm the one who's most appropriate. It's not about it's not about any of that stuff. It's about the father's love. It's about the father's tell, uh, uh, declaring declaration. Okay, so this is all very important for us as we as we talk to people as as like Faye mentioned her her friend Nancy. This I mean this is great. Uh, this is very applicable as you. Approach people who you know have been baptized, who have been declared a child of God. This is our perspective as we talk to them. But before we do that, let's just kind of talk about her. her, uh, So what is interesting, and and I don't think, if you've ever been to confession before, this is important. What does she petition for when she begins her confession? I I can't remember. I'm assuming it's on page 241. I know Mary knows this. When you go to, when you went to confession, oh, blessing. yeah, blessing. blessing. Okay. Yeah, bless me, for I have sinned. Now this is very important because uh, that's good. Okay, so you're, you're coming into this scenario for a blessing. Now, I think that's surprising for us. I mean, it might not be surprising, we might not have thought about it before, but, but we oftentimes when we go to confession, we're really scared because of you know someone might know something about us, you know this human person. Um, but when we when uh, now Lutherans say it a little differently, but it, it's the same same point. So, but if we understand ourselves according to the Father and the prodigal son, then we enter into that relationship a lot differently. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Okay, that that's proper. That's right. So that just that phrase is really important for us to kind of meditate upon. And I don't think, I mean, I don't think Jennifer was making a point about it, but uh, that's something that we need to think about because blessing is normal. I mean, we always get blessings in church every week, and this should be a normal process. This is not abnormal. So, um, so she yeah, she petitions for blessing, not, oh, crap, I've got to make this right between us. And that, that that's behind it, but that's not the first word. first word is, is, a, is a good word, a gospel word. Okay. Um, all right, so, yeah, so uh, this is really important. So why, why was the festering wound a good analogy in a variety of ways? Well,
2: was cleansing.
0: Yep. You, you, yeah, so you, uh, you can't keep it in. Because uh, when you keep it in, what happens? It gets worse. Now, um, also, too, you imagine trying to live through life with that, right? That affects your life. I mean, if you have a festering wound and you don't deal with it, you stop doing things that you could do, probably. I mean, I'm just thinking very kind of concretely. You stop think, doing things that you, you, you used to do, should do, want to do. And why do you stop doing them? Because you're concerned about this wound. So your attention is completely off. Great joy and good gifts. Okay. Then obviously the cleansing aspect too. So when you, <laughs> you lance that wound, it all comes gushing out. Now when you lance a wound, though, is it painful? Yeah. And that's part of the reason why we don't want to do it, right? Because it hurts. Yeah. So we're afraid of the pain. But what Jennifer comes to the point and this is I, th- I mean whether she didn't really say this in the book but I think about it like she can't take it anymore. Got to the point where she can't take it anymore. And I think that's what happened to the prodigal son when he's like an animal eating out of the pig trough. He just can't take it anymore. There's a little the little bit of of holy spirit saying What is wrong with you? You can't, you know. So so this is something where uh, you hate to get to that point in your life where the pain of dealing or uh, uh, the pain of of having the wound is worse than the pain of lancing the wound. You know, because you would think, hey, let's, you know, Let's get rid of it right away before it gets really bad. But at that point, dealing with the wound doesn't hurt as much as actually lancing it, right? But then eventually it gets worse and worse and worse, and you can't take it. Um, for a lot of us, usually that's what it takes for us to do things, doesn't it? That's why I, th- I think the prodigal son, is—it's that's, nor- that's a normal story, actually, because that's usually how we behave. We usually let it fester until we can't take it anymore. And that's why I think the, this conf, the story of confession, and when she walks in, she sees all these people. It's almost like it's just normal. This is what you normally do. Because that's just, I mean, that's like, you know, it's just like going to the doctor. It's like washing your hands. You know, you just kind of take care of things before it gets really bad. Um so anyways, and, and that, I think that's important, so uh oh yeah, so what is the most grievous sin in her account what was the what was the thing that really pushed her over the edge? yeah yeah, and I think this is important for us, where she made fun of uh, Jesus, you know, where she cocked her head, and i th- I think that's important for us to think about because. Um, we're often more afraid of people's reactions to our sins than God's, and of course, Jesus says in Matthew, you know, we should be more afraid of those who, you know, the person who can, you know, not just kill the body, but, but uh, yeah, hurt the soul. So, I, I think that's important for us. But how did she get to that point? And I think this is something that you know, this is more of a Lenten theme, but you know, she really spent time meditating upon the crucifixion. Yeah, and so, well, right. Well, then that that was something too that that uh, yeah. What what caught her off uh, caught her most off guard was the the, the priest's reaction. But I think I think this is something that we we probably uh, we need to I think just people need to do in general when, uh, is that and we need to meditate upon the crucifixion for a variety of reasons. But I think it's one of these is that it really puts things into perspective. So she mocked the crucifixion, but at the same time the crucifixion is what it made, lanced the, the, the wound. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think obviously it's pretty easy to do here at the church now. You just have to look at the crucifix. And uh, that's just my practice, you know, Every Sunday morning during the service is to look up. But I, I am mean, always I always <laughs> um you know, with silence for meditation, right? That you know, let us um, if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but confess our sins, God is faithful and just will forgive all our sins and cleanse us. So and then then we're supposed to silence for meditation. Does every does anyone does i always i do a ten count ten yeah what's that oh that's good that's good well i always it depends on which service but usually the thirty is i i try to ten count it when there's not as much you know noise because you know we put down the kneeler and then I start the ten count one one thousand two one thousand three one thousand that's good i'll uh we'll uh <coughs> I'll make it longer. <laughs> um, that's good. Uh, okay, good. Never mind then. That, that answers that question. All right. So there we go. Is there any instruction for us? Yeah, to think about it more often, to meditate when we sit there. And um, okay. Oh, so what caught off her off, off? Caught her most off guard. Yeah. What was the reaction? There, there are a couple. There's a couple things I, I think that caught her off guard. But well, what, what what were some of them, surely?
2: Well, how passionately the Holy Spirit was working within her. Yes. And yet how negative she was about Jesus and everything all along. And yet as the wound kept getting lanced, it was the Holy Spirit and Jesus working within her to bring her and to bring her part of that community.
0: That's right. She So she kind of walked into the situation, thinks she's going to like say like this much, <laughs> you know. She thought she was in control of the whole situation. And this is why I think the prodigal sentence is so instructive is because she kind of goes, I mean, not not, not in the exact way, but the idea that she kind of understood what, what was going to happen. Okay, I'm going to say this, Priest's going to do this, and you know, it's all going to be done and over with. And, she thought <laughs> and all of a sudden it was like...
2: That it was all over, but yet as the Holy Spirit works within her, all of a sudden she just poured
0: it out. Yeah, it was like diarrhea of the mouth, so she couldn't control it. That was probably not appropriate to say. But um, uh, now the thing, also too, though, uh, something that she never, I I think this is what she said, she never imagined, oh no, I, I probably recorded here. Never could I have imagined the power of speaking the words of my sins, going through the process of assigning words to my deeds, articulating them for another human to hear, and never, ever could I have imagined what it would do for my soul to hear the words, my child, you are forgiven. So, um, yeah, the surprising aspect is the normal aspect, right? I mean, that's just normal, but it it, it surprises her. And uh, C.S. Lewis has Surprised by Joy. It's a nice little book. And he was an atheist, you know, and he, he... we're, did Pastor Bukes say that? We're going to do that next semester. We're going to do Mere Christianity, Surprised by Joy. Um, so, anyways, well, there you go. But, um, so, Surprised by Joy, though, he, he was an atheist. He, he meditated upon. So, he enters into Christianity kind of like she is, very cerebral, thinking, rational. And then, uh, when you kind of get down to the nitty-gritty there's this overflowing aspect of joy that it just really surprises her like she just can't imagine that actually happening by something that's so simple though you are my child and so i think um has anyone ever seen dead man walking yeah. it's an old it's an older movie yeah we won't watch this scene because it would be too long but um uh it's based on a true s- story i mean kind of sort of but there is his uh is about a man who uh, killed there was a murder by two men it's the story of one of the men and he had uh, murdered a boy these two men came upon this couple at night and he murdered the man raped the woman and i think the other guy murdered the woman well raped and murdered the woman Anyways, there's this, a nun who comes and visits him on death row, and she's trying to, She provides spiritual care for him, and he hates her throughout the entire movie. I mean, it's off. I mean, there's some really awful scenes uh, it, it, because of the language. Holy smokes! I mean, just really lays in on her. But she never gives up, and at the very end, it's like a half an hour maybe before he's going to be executed. He, he, uh, he finally, yeah, he finally confesses. And she calls him a, a, a son of God. And he's completely surprised by it. He, uh, he says, uh, I've been called a son of you-know-what many times, but I've never been called a son of God before. And so from that point, though, in the, in the movie, though, there's a, there's a great serenity in him now, and he approaches death uh, with a with a clean conscience, clear conscience, knowing that his identity is no longer in what he decided, but what God has decided. And uh, and so that is something where he he's surprised by the whole thing. He's surprised. He didn't. He thought he was just making he was just making things okay, like the prodigal son. I'm just going to be a servant. This is going to be kind of our new relationship. And God just works on a whole different level and then brings him into the family, into his presence. So how has her worldview changed now? Well, her world has been broken open. And it hasn't been broken open into a whole new world, but in a world that was always there from the beginning. And that's her baptismal world. That's the epilogue. So uh, there's two ways of getting home. One of them is to stay there. The other one is to walk all around the whole world till we come back to the same place, G.K. Chesterton, Everlasting Man. Uh, And what, through the epilogue, she's thinking about this as her, uh, I can't remember if it's her third child or whatever's baptism. And so she's utilizing someone else's baptism to meditate on her own. I don't know if we do that enough. I mean, I think we kind of talk about it. But that's something that, you know, is really important for us as as we, especially here at St. John, we have a lot of baptisms, and we have an opportunity to really meditate upon our own baptism by seeing someone else be baptized. And And by doing that, though, there is this recognition that we belong to the Heavenly Father. And as easy as the prodigal son and Jennifer Fullwater was to forget that, just because we forget it doesn't mean it changes it. And so that's why having these baptisms all the time is a great opportunity for us to really meditate upon what has actually transpired in baptism. There's a, and there's that long quote there. Uh, and as we do that, understanding ourselves as being baptized, then will really dramatically change how we approach others who are baptized. And I think for most of our loved ones, we have people who are baptized but don't practice the faith anymore. Maybe even renounce the faith, like Jennifer Fulbright did. But as we talk to them, it I, I think this idea of returning home is really important for us because now we have certain claims on them. And we actually say that in the baptismal rite. It's not as long as the one in of the, of the blue hymnal, but... It's just, the idea is still there. Amen. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. Uh, we welcome you, what, to the family. We're welcome to the family. in the OLW baptismal service, we had a little bit longer to make that more explicit. But um, yeah. And by the way, too, I, I don't know if I said this before, but uh, you might have noticed this in our baptismal service. Really, there's only two parts where the baptismal family speak. One is when you ask how's the child named. And then we ask the sponsors, do you want to do this? And they say, yes, with the help of God. All the rest of it, I don't know if you've noticed, but like pastors, lay assistants, maybe some of you guys have caught on and started doing it. I don't know. But we answer all together. You can answer all together. That's really important for us because as we do that, as we do answer together, well, technically you do, but I think it's important that you actually voice it, is that you're making claims on this child. You're saying you're you're a child of God, so you know you're saying what God says. But at the same time, you're saying you're part of the family now. As part of the family, that means I can go to your house, and help you put your underwear away. As part of the family, that means that uh, you know you you gotta you gotta come to family dinner, Otherwise known as the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, as family then that means you've got to be with the family. You've got to be with us. You can't just go away. Now, the thing is, though, is that the prodigal son is really important for us to understand is the father is, a, as Jan said, of other people, very patient. And what's interesting about the father's perspective in the prodigal son is that time is not an issue with him. It's as if, you know, he just, he just came back the next day. Right. This is just what this is what we do. We we kill the fat calf. We're celebrating because we're together. Um, so I think as we as we run into people who have been baptized and maybe are are, are wandering, we can just say, "What you should come to church with me then." And to a certain a certain level, again, this goes back to what we had talked at the beginning of the book: is the relationship that we have with one another. Is that um, when we have that relationship, we can say, oh, wait, but you, you know, you're with me now, so come on, let's go. I'll meet you at 8 25. Now, they could say, oh, I'm not ready yet. I mean, because it's uncomfortable being loved. I mean, I always think about this prodigal son, and I mean, we don't really get the reaction of the prodigal son. But it's almost like, a, you know, I would think that he's like, are you sure? What do you mean? Wait a second. I didn't ask for that. I want to be your servant. You know, so it's, it, you know, it's, it's not like we don't really know exactly how the prodigal son reacted, but I, I would think that a normal person would be like, I don't know if that's right. I mean, that seems like a little too much. I mean, hey, it's great. I really appreciate it. But I don't know. Not yet. So I, I think, it's, I think that's, that's typical, like, as we reach out to people who – that's kind of that's abnormal. So people say, well, hey, you know, you know we're together, right? So that means you've got to come with me. They'll be like, what? Or they'll be like, don't tell me what to do. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but but again, I think this is the product of some might have said that. Be like, Dad, I don't think you know what you're doing. And so I think I've said this before. There's a lot of times where God rejects our rejection. He just works through it. And it's not like he's not listening. I think this is important for us to realize. This. So that on a certain level, when we interact with these people, it's almost there was a uh, there was a commercial, a nation, a national. I don't know if it's still around. Uh, some bank, national bank, or something like that. And the guy is talking to uh, the, the the banker is talking to the client, and the banker is is. Uh, I, I, or I'm not the banker. The, the the client is just very concerned about the free checking. It's all about free checking, and and the bankers tell me, well, you get all these other things. It's great, great, and and the guy's like it, like that's fine. It doesn't you don't care about. it He just keeps he keeps going back to the free checking. Like he's not really listening. He's listening, but he's not listening. And I, I always see this ex, this face on him, and I was like, that's how I need to be with people who say like no to me about like coming to church and stuff. I'm like, okay, so eight thirty, Sunday morning okay, great, it'll be great when you come because we'll have coffee. You know, it's just this, con- this constant working that you, I mean, you, you hear them, but you, you don't hear them at the same time. I, I think that's it's important for us. And, and uh, so I think that's how, and, and that's been something for me, you know, as, as becoming a pastor is, is like, uh, that's, that's been kind of unusual for me to deal with. Like, I, I've had to learn how to do that with people. And uh, Pastor Bukes and Pastor Ruzik and I, we've been making phone calls to people and talking to people who haven't been to church in a long time. And sometimes they haven't been to church because they don't live in Illinois, I mean, here around anymore. We've found that out a lot of times. But other times people don't come because they just don't come. They're just like, I don't know, whatever. And so we're like, okay, well, we'll see you on Sunday. it would be great. Come on back. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an odd thing. And then other people are like, you know, take me off the list. I'm I'm never going to come back to St. John or I, I've gone to a different church and whatever. But when we talk to these people who who uh, don't fit any of those, we just say, okay, well, we'll see you in church then. It'll be great. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to, to talk to you. Most of the time we get messages though, so no one calls us back. But when we do get that chance to talk to people. And so I've had to practice that a lot as of late. It's just been kind of like, okay, great. Yep. All right. Sunday, 8.30, 11. Come to those because I know I'll be there. Saturday, you'll have to take your chances with the other two guys. I might be there, might not be. Um, and the reason why we can say that, though, is because they're baptized. We, uh, and so we don't, we don't, we, 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 uh, especially with people who have sinned and maybe we know these people, I, I think about uh, a friend of mine. I just reached out to this friend Who's, who hasn't been here a long time, and I just said, you know, we love you and we want you to come back. And I, a little part of me is like, I, I can't be concerned about the sins that he's committed. Because, you know, of course that's keeping him away. But having uh, just petitioning him to come back is a sign of, of reconciliation. I'm not going to let that stop things. Um... Yeah, so I, I I know I haven't done a good job of just sticking with it like the father has, but some something we all need to work on. I'm babbling now. So, Krista.
1: Um, that was my question. Is it just uh, not the same reaction of the first son? Uh, that he, he doesn't, uh, I was always wondering, he doesn't have the joy you know, to be at home. so he doesn't see uh, that he has everything. Right. What she needs, but um, he's lacking on joy. Right. I think, as as you mentioned, it, perhaps um, friend, friends um, if they don't go to church. Is it not that they don't have the joy to to serve God, uh, um, or they don't see it as a necessity in a certain way?
0: Oh yeah, right. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I talked to a, 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 an older gentleman who said, "Well, I don't come to church because I don't think I need to. Ha- I don't need to have. I don't need an institution to help me with my relationship with God or something. or something like that. I'm like, well, you, I mean, do you read the Bible at all?" I kind of play silly. I said, "Because you know, in the Bible, it's never just you and God. It's it's always we we and God. And so you need to think about that." And I said, "Also, think about like you know." Like, uh, when you die, who's going to do your funeral? Are you, do you think about those things? Do you think about what God says? So This person did, just completely just didn't, didn't care, right? I mean, but this person is a baptized person, so we have to say, okay. I mean, they've stayed away because they, they're obstinance, not because of shame or guilt. But... What I've found out is that that's the that's the exception to the rule. Most people stay away because they're ashamed, and and it gets to the point where actually they're ashamed because they haven't gone to church. Like they can't even remember what their first thing kept them away from the church. What keeps them from the from church is the fact they haven't been to church in a while. I don't know if, if you've ever talked mm-hmm. to anybody like that before, or or maybe you know someone like that. But it's uh. So yeah, one of the things, the reason why. You know, being, being uh, rejecting the joy is one thing. Not experiencing it could be another because of their letting the, the guilt and shame control. Holly. I guess what Christa
2: was saying. I feel like those are the joyless people that are actually
0: in church. They're coming and they're overtaking in God's gifts, the
2: Father's gifts. Yeah, right, the older son, right. They're like, joyless. You
0: know, I feel... Right. Well, yeah, right. I mean, to a certain extent, there's always the same amount of hope for everybody. But yeah, Holly, Holly. I mean, do you understand what Holly's saying? Is that there are these people who come to church and they're they are uh, they come to church because they think they're 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 playing by the rules. They're in control. They're
2: going through
0: the well, yeah, going through the motions. However you want to say it. I mean, it's one of those things, though. But that's the aspect of of the uh, story, in Full Wire's story and Fulbright's story, and and obviously then the intent of the prodigal son story is that through this uh, kind of reckless love, there's this joy that springs up uh, in, in the, the Christian, then that lives a life of celebration and thankfulness. And that was, that's one of the things about the older son. He's not really thankful. He's just...
2: He's always had a different destination in his mind. Just like she, Jennifer said. she said it somewhere, I don't remember where I read it, that she followed a different destination. And then
0: oh yeah right like she yeah so yeah it, it, she, she yeah well she, she doesn't see her journey so much as is to a, a a foreign destination but as a return home and I, yeah so a lot of people think going to church is going into the foreign destination but if you've been baptized yeah right now again it's different for someone who's not been baptized I mean that—that's something where that's a whole different kind of discussion. Jan and then Nancy. Yeah. Uh, the very last paragraph that you quoted.
2: Yeah. Too, for those of us who are moms who have kids, who right? Are, you know, kind of blocked away from the church. Yep. The fact that an avowed atheist who right. has been baptized. Right who you would think God
0: wouldn't give another chance. Yeah. You know, has this
2: chance. You know, it's a comfort to me as a mother. Yeah, right. And
0: okay, you know, they aren't coming now, but God will take a hold of them. Well, and this is, yeah, that's again, great.
2: Yeah, it may not be in my
0: lifetime. <laughs> you have to, and Jen, let's just, let's just play that out a little bit. Because the prodigal son, who had the final word with the prodigal son and the father? Yeah, the father did, right? That's why we don't have, we don't have the prodigal son's reaction, and and I think that's one of the points that Luke, when he write this, it, he didn't put that in there because he wanted the father to have the final say in the whole thing. And and so you think about this too, Jan, is that when we at St. John, when we do funerals, this is really important for us because uh, for those who have, I, I've, I've said this before. It, from john John ten uh no one's able to snatch him out of the father's hand i ha I' done this to to a couple person members whose relatives who have been baptized and then kind of left the church and they're like you know i don't know if you can be you don't know if you can have a funeral and I'm like, well, you know let's play this out let's a i may mean, I'll ask you a few questions and so he, he he didn't know, he didn't know what to do and he he called us and I was like yeah I'll do the funeral no problem and that that's basically what I preached on was the fact that it's not up to Al I mean there, there's something where because you know I think I think most people who kind of go away from the faith. Are not your typical like Richard Dawkins. You know who Richard Dawkins is? Like you know, he's he's in this. Well, he's dead now, but I mean, the, the he was active atheist who was trying to destroy God and destroy the church. That is not really most atheists or uh, people who don't go to church anymore who have a stagnant faith. It's more, it's more like, yeah, guys, it's not important. And so as a pastor, we always have these pastoral calls. And, and our default, though, is to always have God have the last word. And so as, as family members, who we have people who, who uh, either walked away from the faith or just kind of lukewarm to the faith. Um, the, the, the prodigal son is really helpful for us because that gives us great hope and great joy. Again... But that, I mean, that obviously doesn't say, you know, why why are you, why are you hanging out in a, in a foreign country? You should, you know, you belong here. You keep coming back, you know. And, um, you know, you can only imagine the father, you know, if he knew where his son was, you know, maybe sending a messenger to say, are you coming for Christmas dinner? They didn't have Christmas back then, but whatever. You don't understand what I'm saying. Thanksgiving dinner. There you go. <laughs> And and so it's not. And it's, this is all very difficult. I mean, this is all very hard with our our loved ones. Is that and, it, and it's such a, a judgment call. But the prodigal son story just helps us. Helps us with our frame of mind and how we approach people. And family members, and so we don't always get it right. I mean, that's why confession is always a good thing because it, it, always, it always puts things back the way it's supposed to be and gives us uh, a new start. Yep. Krista, and then we got to go. I, I just want
1: to say, the first son, is it not a self-righteousness?
0: What? He act in the way uh, as he is acting? You mean... Uh, You mean the oldest son or the, the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely self righteous. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. He's playing by his own rules. That's right. So that that was the whole point is that you have two guys who are playing by their own rules. Uh, Different rules, reckless living and self-righteousness. But um, they are playing by their own rules. Yeah, that's right. And so that's why uh, David and Nathan's story is real helpful because the father... Again, the father shows a lot of love to that older son, but to a certain extent, the older son might need to have been confronted by his sin, like Nathan did with David, because he was self-righteous. David was very self-righteous, right? Oh, my gosh, we're going to find that guy who took that sheep, and we're going to put him to death. I mean, that's a real self-righteous statement, because (laughs) he's the guy who's judgment himself, right? So, anyways, okay. All right, so, okay, so uh, next, uh, starting uh, sometime in January, I don't, I don't know when yet. I have to talk to Pastor Bukes. Uh, we're going to be, so, so Jennifer Fuller's story, with uh, some of the mo- mo- most important books in her life, obviously aside from the Bible, uh, uh, one of them was Mere Christianity. And so we thought we would we'd kind of go through Mere Christianity because it it begin it still is along the same lines as far as uh, how we talk about the faith with others in a way that is uh, biblical. So you know, utilizing the the biblical stories that we've been talking about over the last couple months, and then we're going to keep going with that, but using a different template of uh, Mere Christianity, and. Because we haven't really talked a little bit, we haven't talked too rationally about the faith over the last few months. Um, And so we're going to get a little bit more into that next time. So there will be copies available. There's just a shorter book. So anyways, but if you have it, you know, great. We're going to start out with that. Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray.